Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and thank you for standing by. Welcome to WPP Preliminary Financial Results Conference call and webcast. At this time, all participants are in listen-only mode. After the speaker's presentation, there will be a question and answer session, at which time, if you wish to ask a question, please press star 1 on your telephone keypad. Today's conference is being recorded. At this time, I would like to hand the conference over to WPP CEO, Mr. Mark Reed. Please go ahead, sir. Thank you very much, and uh, good morning, everyone, and welcome to the WPP 2022 uh, preliminary results presentation. As you know, um, we now do this as more of a Q&A session. We should take the, the presentation as read. It's, it's available online. Rather than take up your time with that, we thought we could get straight into questions. Maybe I'll make a few preliminary Remarks. I'm here with John Rogers, our CFO. So John and I will take your questions. Look, I think we had a um, a good 2022. We grew 6.9% in the year. Uh, a respectable or more respectable Q4, 6.4%, perhaps somewhat better than we'd expected after a somewhat softer Q3. That that was in part driven by comparatives. But I think you know the momentum we had through the year carried into Q4, and I think we'll see some of that momentum carry into next year through our guidance. We had a very broad base. Uh, performance are integrating so up 6.9% with a three-year growth of 9.5%. Strong performance from Group M, Ogilvy, AKQA, Hogarth. Our PR businesses were up 8.2% light for light with a strong performance, particularly from Hill and Knowlton. And our specialist agencies up 5.6%. So functionally, we grew strongly across all our functions. And regionally as well, North America up 6.6%, UK up 76 I'd call out a particularly resilient Western continent Europe at 5 and a half percent, and uh, Asia Pacific, rest of the world, up eight percent uh, last year. So a broad-based performance across uh, across services and regions. Uh, a strong competitive performance from uh, leading at CAN to a new business number close to six billion dollars. We continue to invest in the business, and we talked a lot on the call about the impact of AI on our industry, which I think is going to be fundamental. Our transformation savings are ahead of plan, and we're on track to deliver the £100 billion pounds of savings by 2025. And then lastly, our guidance. So our guidance for light, light revenue as partial cost is 3 to 5%, and a headline operating margin of around 15%. And you know, I think that's based on uh, conversations that we have with clients, what they're telling us about what they, uh, what they intend to spend for the year, really driven by you know their uh, continued desire to invest in their business and invest in brands. I think in part also driven by uh, the complexity of the environment and the new media opportunities available to them on platforms like Netflix and TikTok and retail media platforms, as well as the transformation in WPP's business and expansion we've made in new areas around data, technology, and e-commerce. So in short, I think we had a good year. We're going into this year, I would say, you know, confident in our guidance. It's a little bit... Um, is a little bit, you know, softer than 2022, but I think that's what what one would expect, and it's significantly ahead of uh, analyst expectations, certainly at, at the end of last year. So, with that as an introduction, um, why don't we open it up for uh, for questions? And uh, John and I will will take those as as people have them. Thank you, sir. If you would like to ask a question at this time, please press star one on your telephone. Please ensure that the mute function on your telephone is switched off to allow your signal to reach our equipment. If you are also watching the webcast, please make sure to mute the computer's 
volume to prevent feedback through the phone while asking a question. If you find that your question has already been answered, you may remove yourself from the queue by pressing star 2. Again, please press star 1 to ask a question. We will pause for a moment to allow everyone to signal. We will now take our first question from Tim Nolan from Macquarie. Tim, please go ahead. Oh, thanks. Um, thanks for taking the question. Thanks also for doing this call for us in New York. Um, saves us getting up at four in the morning. Um, I was going to ask for uh, feedback on that. I was going to ask feedback on that, but uh, I'm pleased you find it valuable, Tim. Uh, I, I used to get up at two in the morning to do all of your London calls, but I certainly appreciate not having to do that if you're doing this 9 a.m. New York call. Um, okay. I did read the transcript from your um, from your meeting this morning in London, and uh, I noticed uh, a, a lot of very specific detailed numbers questions, so I'll spare you those this time and ask you instead two um, much broader big-picture questions. Um, firstly, um, Mark, you did mention um, AI and chat GPT in your opening remarks, um, and I wanted to follow up on that and ask, I understand the role of, of you know, these, these generative search functions in terms of creating you know, add um, copy and so forth. But my question is more, how might the search market change if Bing is to gain share over Google, uh, given these changes in search? And how might that affect ad spending in general, given, given how big search is in terms of total advertising spending? Um, I wonder if we're at the cusp of the sea change in much more than just, you know, who wins the search wars, but how this might change the overall ad market, if that's not too dramatic a statement. Um, yeah. Yeah. Maybe let's go with that, and then I'll ask my second question, if that's okay. Yeah, look, I think – so I think that it's too early to say, but if we had to hesitate, a view we discussed it a lot internally is – look, I think people go to search for a number of reasons, don't they? And um, – some of those, most of those reasons are to answer direct questions or to find out information or to um, to book a plane ticket or find a holiday destination. There's many, many reasons people go to search. And you sometimes get vertical search engines. So Amazon have carved off a portion of search around sort of some subsegment of products. And sometimes you might go and search in Twitter to see what's happened in the last you know, five minutes that hasn't happened in, you know, that wouldn't be on Google in that period of time. So I, I don't think that um, certainly what I've seen from some of these generative AI engines is going to by any means replace like 100% or match 100% of what Google does, nor is it going to necessarily lead to a better um, a better answer. You know, I, I asked it to write my bio and it came out with quite a large number of factual inaccuracies, um, upgraded my university, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so that's not to say that it won't have significant changes over time, but you know, I don't think there's going to be a dramatic shift in a very short period of time in what goes on in search. So as the, as the engines get better and as they understand what's true and not true, and the question is, can 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 they understand what's true and not true? Um, we'll see different impacts, but I, I don't think that there's a sort of there's so many different segmentations of search and questions you get through that through that search query box. I think it's hard to say that suddenly 
in every category, one search engine versus another is going to be particularly more uh, impactful. And you know, I think all of the major technology comes to investing significantly in AI. So I think we just have to we have to sort of wait to see. Now, from our perspective, it, it sort of really doesn't matter which one which one you know does better or worse. So I, I don't think it impacts WPP directly. If anything, you know, more competition is better for us and better for our clients. So um, that's kind of how I think we've thought about it. Right. Maybe that last point is is what I'm getting at. If it's if it is if it does open up the search market, more participants, more activity for you. Um, okay, that's interesting. Thanks. Um, my second question is um, about uh, the ad tech market, and um, we've been reading a lot about the ties that Group M has been making with the SSPs like, like Submatic and Magnite. And um, Magnite spoke last night in their call about um, expanding those relationships with Group M, um, as well as some other media buyers. So my question is, um, do you think we are getting toward a more efficient ad tech market, which should in turn be better for advertising clients? And also, it seems better for WPP and the agencies, given that your role seems to be um, more deeply tied into um, all these technology enhancements. And it's, it's quite counter to the concerns of a few years ago that, you know, ad tech was going to disrupt the agencies, a concern that a lot of people had. Now it almost seems like the role of agencies is even more essential, more embedded into the process. So any comments you could give around that would be great, too. Yeah, look, I mean, I, I've always been, and I think we've always been consistently of the view that, um, that that much of this technology, if we embrace it properly, would help us grow, not just intermediate us. So I would agree there. And I think on the ad tech point, look, it looks like, you know, the estimates I've seen of sort of the amount of money lost, the so-called ad tech tax is decreasing, which is what you'd expect as the market gets bigger and more efficient. And what in one year is a new product becomes much more of a commodity. And I expect that to continue. And that's good for advertisers. It means that more of the money they invest goes in producing content. So I think broadly speaking, it's a positive uh, development. Great. Thanks a lot, Mark. Thanks, Tim. Thank you. As a reminder to ask a question, please press star followed by one. Our next question comes from Michael Nathanson from Moffitt Nathanson. Michael, please go ahead. Thanks. Good afternoon, and thanks for doing this call. We appreciate it. Um, I guess my questions are a bit more prosaic, so I, I apologize. Um, <laughs> for Mark. I'm uh, sure it won't be. I, 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 I know they are. The question we're struggling with is trying to trying to figure out normalized cash flow. Right? You have all these moving pieces, which we understand. Working capital, which we've been through the wars on this. But how do you think about just a normalized maybe cash conversion when the business gets to? A steady state, right? So help us understand kind of where this business should should generate cash as a percentage of EBITDA, if possible. And then one of the things we've been really struggling with is kind of the, the impact of foreign exchange, clearly in the U.S. for the U.S.-based agencies on margin, and whether or not it's a help or a hindrance. But you know, you have a, you have a commentary on on margin guidance headline, and the FX is kind of neutralized. But how do you how do you help us with just the the wide volatility in FX, and what does it do to your business on a reported basis, on, on margin? Yeah, John, why don't you tackle both of those? 
Hi, hi Michael. I told you um, more, more pressure. Hey. <laughs> more <laughs> profound than me. Um, <laughs> just on the the forex one. Look, the, the reality is is that actually we're we're reasonably well, if you like, operationally hedged on margin because obviously most of our cost base is also in the same currency as where we bill. So in the main, we, we are pretty well hedged. So even though there may be swings on the net sales line, visibly in, in terms of margin, it, it generally doesn't have a huge impact. I mean, obviously, we're slightly more centered in terms of our cost base in the UK because we're a sort of a UK, more of a sort of UK headquartered business. Um, but generally speaking, I mean, say, for example, in, in 2023, we would, I think, you know, at the moment we'd say it's, it's you know, margin neutral, even though there's a slight um, tailwind from from sort of currency on the top line. Then, you know, the, at today's rate, there may be a slight 10-bip uh, headwind on margin. But it's really minuscule. I mean, it, it's probably plus or minus 10 bips is sort of the... The nature, unless there's big currency swings, it's really not going to move the margin that much, frankly. Um, on your on your first question on normalised cash flows, I mean, look, obviously 2022 was a challenging year from a cash flow perspective because we had two things. You know, we had the big delta on what we describe as being the non-trade working capital, which really was effectively an you know, accrual made for a bonus payment in 2021, which is a record bonus. So we paid out our highest bonus ever on the back of results in 2021 from the accounting perspective. Of course, those payments weren't made until in cash terms until 2022. So we had a big outflow of cash in 2022, which was accounted for in 2021 profitability, and that's why we had the big move there. Um, we also had a, a, an outflow at the year end on our network and capital position, which I think was you know, largely we describe as timing, um, but you know, the elements of our actual creative business, which tends to be you know, working capital consuming, actually grew better than we were expecting. And our media business, which tends to be working capital generative, um, actually was probably, even though the growth was good, was growth was slightly less than we expected. And so we had a little bit of an outflow at the year end. But you know, it's worth pointing out that we have unlocked about 1.3 billion uh, sterling of working capital benefit over the last three years. So, you know, all of which is, of course, in theory, should, should drop to the bottom line, and that's what, has, at least in part, has funded the the buyback program, the 1.5 billion that we've returned to shareholders over the last two years. I think if you if you were to look at, you know, what what's the sort of normalised basis? Um, I mean, I think. You know, if you define your sort of free cash flow, taking account of your capex, your your tax, your interest, your you know your earnouts, your restructuring costs, and closing working capital, then we we should be normalising at around a billion a billion plus or so against top line of of just over two. So that, that would be you know certainly if I looked at say twenty three as an example with uh, if you like headline EBITDA at two point one billion. Uh, you know, we're creating free cash flow of, of around 800 million. And if I looked at sort of 24 and 25 and beyond, you know, you'd see that free cash flow uh, number increasing. It does, of course, you know, reflect the number of items which are 
you know, will move over time. So I would say CapEx uh, we, was relatively was lower than expected in 22. It's going to be a little bit higher in 23 at 300 million, but we'll probably normalize around that level going forward. I think restructuring, we saw 220 million in 2022, exactly in line as we guided. We'll see 180 million in 2023, as we've now guided for this year. And then we'll see that come off over the, the subsequent years. So that will be a help to the overall free cash flow. And then in terms of networking capital, I think we, you know, we, we largely expect to be flat going forward. Um, you know, we've delivered, if you like, the big one-off benefits in the, in, in 2020 and 2021. And I think going forward, we'll continue to make small operational improvements, uh, offsetting, you know, the, the, the outflow as a result of growing the business. And so net net overall, I would say neutral. So that's, I hope that gives you a little bit of a shape in terms of um, what we anticipate going forward. Does that, does that answer your question? Oh, yeah, it does. Thank you. It's really helpful. Uh, can I just have one more for Mark? It's, you know, I think I'd be remiss not to ask you about China, given given your history there, given, you know, the depth of of um, of, of your, your your relationships. What is what's What are you hearing on the ground, right? You have, I see the text you put out, but... Are you seeing real signs of, of reawakening on, on spending and, and activation from the client side? Is, is, is there is that a hopeful sign for for twenty three? Yeah, certainly. When I talk to our people there, they're much they're much more uh, positive, much more opti- op- optimistic about the outlook for the year and about client spending. Um, in our case, we had a very strong Q one last year. Up, I think we were up twelve percent. So it's going to make the comparatives this year a bit tougher for us in Q one. So I don't think you'll see it feed through. You know, into our growth uh, until Q2, you know, Q2 onwards. But I think, you know, China's 5% of our business, so it's an important part of our business, but it's by no means delivering all of the growth that we expect this year. It's, it's really, you know, it's part of the puzzle, I would say, I would describe it as. But I think people are positive and it's definitely opening up. Okay. Thanks. Thank you both. Thank you. Thank you. Our next question comes from Doug Arthur from Hoover Research. Doug, please go ahead. Yeah, thanks a lot. Uh, Mark, uh, there, there was a narrative in the in the marketplace, say, 18 months ago that retail media was not really incremental spending. It was sort of moving from one pile to the other. Um, that doesn't seem to be the case. So um, I guess what is what is your outlook there, and what is the specific – WPP agency role in facilitating the growth of uh, retail media? And then I've got a follow-up for John. Yeah, look, I, I think that I think some of it is being displaced from analog, which may not be measured, to digital, which is probably more measurable, right, and more reported by the companies. And so, you know, classically, a big packaged goods company would go to Walmart and would have, you know, listing fees and promotions and advertising and you would never see that either in the, Walmart would never disclose that and you would never see that in the P&L of the package goods company either and now that's maybe reported as advertising revenue so people are starting to collect it so I wouldn't say it's necessarily being displaced but I think it's becoming more measurable and and part of it some part of it is incremental you know because you're creating new opportunities for clients to advertise uh, and, and so it's incremental. I would say from the perspective of our business, 
it is incremental to our business because it's money that probably would not have passed through WPP, but because it's now uh, being spent as pure advertising is being passed through WPP. And so our job is to help our clients manage that and integrate it with the rest of their advertising. And, and quite frankly, the retailers are trying to double dip, which is trying to get the trade dollars out of the manufacturers as well as the retail advertising dollars by persuading them that they're different things and then always different things. So it's a little bit of an arm wrestle about um, about what it is. And I think our job and our role is to help clients, you know, spend it efficiently, understand where it's additive to their overall media mix, and understand where it's 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 incremental or replacing trade spend, and make sure that they've got the right balance there between those two uh, activities. I guess. Yeah, it's it's very helpful. Um, uh, and, and just to follow up for John, uh, the, the transformation program, you know, seems ahead of schedule. Um, where, where are you getting um, incremental savings? Is it more on the real estate side or process, kind of IT? And, and could you eventually uh, uh, exceed your, your, you know, goal through twenty four twenty five? Yeah, look, I think it's across the board. I mean, it's set out, you've set out in the presentation in terms of the different buckets of spend across what we describe as efficiencies and the operating model. I think it's in, you know, we, we're getting better, I think it's say stronger savings on the, uh, the real estate side, um, good savings coming through on procurement. Uh, obviously, we're making the organization a lot simpler. We've we, seen in the, in the presentation bring together a number of different parts of our overall business, cutting the number of legal entities. And so I think it comes from a number of different areas. I'd say the one the one area that we, you know, we're just starting to tap into, and it's it's probably the smallest of the three buckets, is is the rollout of the enterprise uh, ERP new ERP systems, then economy, principally in in Asia and in South America in 2023 and, and Workday in Wanaman Thompson, North America. I think those tend to be a little bit slower, um, you know, given the complexity of the organization uh, and, and the challenges associated with that, but probably in the longer term, you know, over time have, have high potential to unlock more value. I wouldn't, want to, I wouldn't want to call out higher savings than what we're describing at the moment, the 600 million. I think there's good visibility to get to the 600 million. I think let's get to the 600 million first and then See where we can get to thereafter. Great, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. As a final reminder to ask any further questions, please press star followed by one on your telephone keypad. Okay, there are no further questions at this time, so I'll now hand the call over to Mr. Mark Reed for further closing remarks. All right, well, thank you everyone for your questions and um, thank you for listening and uh, we'll be in touch and speak to you soon. Thanks very much. That will conclude today's conference call. Thank you for your participation. Ladies and gentlemen, you may now disconnect. <laughs>